Does the Christian life feel more like duty or delight to you? Does the Christian life feel more like duty or delight to you? Think about that. As we've journeyed through the book of Joshua, there's been an emphasis on obedience and diligence and warfare. But our passage this morning is a reminder of God's grace in it all. It's a reminder that the Christian life is more than obedience and diligence. The Christian life is, at its essence, enjoyment and delight in the Lord. And to remind us of that, I want you to look with me at the great gift giver. We're going to start in Joshua chapter 13. Joshua chapter 13. We are continuing our study through this Old Testament book. Joshua chapter 13. We'll begin reading in verse 1. I want to ask you this morning, if you are physically able, to please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. Joshua 13, verse 1, the Bible says, Now Joshua was old and advanced in years, and the Lord said to him, You are old and advanced in years. That'll bless you, wouldn't it? And there remains yet very much land to possess. This is the land that yet remains, all the regions of the Philistines and all those of the Geshurites, from the Shihor, which is east of Egypt, northward to the boundary of Ekron. It is counted as Canaanite. There are Five rulers of the Philistines, those of Gaza, Ashdod, Ashkelon, Gath, and Ekron, and those of the Avim in the south, and all the land of the Canaanites, and Mirah that belongs to the Sidonians, to Aphek, to the boundary of the Amorites, and the land of the Gibalites, and all Lebanon, toward the sunrise from Belgad, below Mount Hermon, to Lebo Hamath, all the inhabitants of the hill country from Lebanon to Misrephoth, Maim, even all the Sidonians. Now, the reason I read all of that is because I want to impress you with my pronunciation of those names. And, and, but listen, here's the, the reality. I don't know how to pronounce them. But I've learned if you say it with authority, everybody thinks you do. Amen. But look what it says in verse 6. I myself will drive them out from before the people of Israel. Only allot the land to Israel for an inheritance as I have commanded you. Now, therefore, divide this land, here it is again, for an inheritance to the nine tribes and half the tribe of Manasseh. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name, and we say as a faith family, hallowed be your name. You are worthy of our worship. You are worthy of our praise. And it is a great, Lord, privilege to gather and sing praises to you. And now, Lord, to to bend our hearts under the authority of your word and to experience you speaking to us as your word goes forth and your Holy Spirit applies it to our lives. I pray that you work in a mighty way. Help us in these moments to see the glory of Jesus and help us to leave today knowing we have met 
with the living God. And we will thank you and praise you, Lord, for that grace. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. The book of Joshua divides itself into four different areas. Uh, The first part of the book of Joshua is found in chapters 1 through 4. You might call that section, Enter the Land. That section is when God takes his people from the east side of the Jordan, across the Jordan River as he parts it into the promised land. He gets them into that land. So the first part is enter the land. The second part is uh, chapters 5 through 12. We, We might call that take the land. This is where God commands his people to overthrow the city-states living there in the land to drive out the people, to conquer the people in that land that God was giving to Israel. That's found again in chapters 5 through 12. The third part of this book you might call divide up the land, chapters 13 through 21. And in this section, the Lord gives Joshua instructions to divide up the land among the different tribes of Israel. We just read about that in the first section of chapter 13, where uh, Joshua begins to apportion the land to the nine and a half tribes living there in the promised land. And so the third section of Joshua is divide up the land. The fourth section of Joshua we'll call inhabit the land. That's found in chapters 22 through 24, where the Lord called Israel to live in the land, to serve him faithfully, to thrive in that land, to fulfill the purposes God had for them. And so if you look at that outline, we've made it to the, the third part or the third section of Joshua, divide up the land. And for the next few times we're together, we're going to talk about this dividing up of the land among the tribes of Israel. But we see here that God is giving his people a gift. He's a, he's a great gift giver. And he, the Bible uses the word inheritance there in verse 6 and verse 7 to speak of this gift of land that God was giving his people. So I want to think about God and this gift. I want to, want to think about God and his gifts to us and think about him being the great gift giver. And so here's the first thought about God's gifts I want you to see from the text. Here it is. God gives good gifts to his people. God gives good gifts to his people. It says there in verse 6, Allot the land to Israel for an inheritance, as I've commanded you. Verse 7, divide this land for an inheritance. God was giving them the gift of land, a promised land. They didn't deserve it, but God was giving them that land. This reminds us, that God gives good gifts to his people. As a matter of fact, over in James 1 verse 17, the Bible says that every good and perfect gift is from above. If there, listen, if there's anything good in your life, if you can place your finger on any good thing, it is a gift from God above. Every good and perfect gift is from above. And we can categorize the gifts that God gives his children in in two different ways. First of all, think with me about earthly gifts. Earthly gifts. By earthly gifts, I mean material things, things we enjoy here in this life, verse 6 and verse 7, speaks of this inheritance. It's land, it's, it's, it's physical land in which they were to dwell. It's an earthly gift, and God gives you and me earthly uh, gifts. Uh, we could think together long and hard about all the different things we have in our lives that are 
blessings. I grew up singing the old hymn, Count Your Many Blessings. Name them one by one. And every one of us will be able to stand up and testify this morning as to the goodness of God in our lives. I mean, we can think about things like hearts that beat and lungs that breathe. You, you woke up this morning. That's a blessing, right? We can think about homes and cars and jobs and accounts and material possessions. Even in this room, we're enjoying light and AC and really comfortable chairs. Sometimes, honestly, a little too comfortable for some of you, but, but really comfortable chair. I mean, all of this is, is, is blessing. It's God giving us things we do not deserve, earthly, material blessings. And every one of us in this room have been blessed in that way. So we can spend some time thinking about earthly gifts. But the second category of gifts I want you to think through with me is that of eternal gifts, eternal gifts. This inheritance, this land that God was giving his people is a picture of some spiritual realities for the Christian. Matter of fact, Hebrews tells us that the rest that the people of Israel enjoyed in the promised land is a picture of the rest that Christians enjoy in that Jesus Christ paid the price for you and I to be forgiven, for you and I to be saved, And because Jesus did it all, we can rest from our works and labor and just enjoy the relationship we have with God. And so that that earthly inheritance of land pictures our spiritual inheritance, our spiritual blessing in Jesus Christ. And if you know Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have been given some marvelous blessings that matter in this life and will matter for all of eternity. As a matter of fact, over in Ephesians 1, verse 3, the Bible says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every, listen to this qualifier, every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. And the rest of chapter 1 of Ephesians goes on to delineate those blessings that are ours in Christ. Things like redemption, forgiveness, reconciliation, the sealing of the Spirit, God's calling on our life, all of those things are ours in Jesus Christ. So in Christ, you and I have eternal gifts. Now, he wants us to recognize those gifts. He wants us to recognize how how good he is and all that he gives us in Christ. He wants us to rejoice in the realities of forgiveness and the realities of of redemption and the realities of reconciliation and, and, and the realities of his presence in our life. He wants us to recognize those gifts. But secondly, he wants us to anticipate his eternal gifts because there are some gifts that are ours in Christ that we have not yet taken hold of. Listen to what 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3-5 through says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance, there's that word inheritance again, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, listen, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So Peter says here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that there are some gifts, there is an inheritance 
awaiting you and awaiting me in heaven. And the reason we know that is because God wants us to anticipate that inheritance. They say, what in the world is our heavenly inheritance? What in the world is waiting for us? And there's no really clear, detailed answer to that question. I believe that our heavenly inheritance speaks of every blessing that is ours in Christ in heaven forever. So it encapsulates everything that God gives us in Christ that we will enjoy forever. But God wants us to anticipate heaven. He wants us to anticipate the reality that one day when we arrive in that place he has for us, there will be inheritance, just like Israel. There will be inheritance. There will be gifts that we enjoy forever and ever and ever and ever. It's like the old hymn says, when we've been there 10,000 years bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. There is an inheritance waiting for us in heaven. We're called to anticipate that. We sang this morning, come Lord Jesus, right? Even so, come. Heaven is better than here, right? And we should look forward to those gifts. You know, uh, there have been times when my dad or Claire's parents send us through the mail a gift for our kids, a gift for their grandkids. And, and our kids know the gift's coming, maybe a package, maybe a check or something. And, and when they know there's a gift headed their way, all of a sudden they're interested in the mailman. Has the mail come yet? Is it there? Have, we, have you checked the mail? And, and they're running out to check the mail. You know, when it's just bills, they're not interested in that. But, but if there's a gift there, what's in the mail? When, when's my check arriving, right? Anticipating gifts. Well, as we think about all that God has given us in Jesus Christ, his earthly gifts, his earthly blessings, and then in Christ, his eternal gifts, we should anticipate not just how good he is to us in this life, but how good eternity will be with him forever. God gives good gifts to his people. Just like Israel received some good gifts, you and I receive some good gifts in Christ. Secondly, God gives good gifts to his people for his purposes. Now, if you look back in Joshua chapter 13, you might ask the question, why in the world did God go to such great lengths to give the nation of Israel land? I mean, is is God just into real estate? I mean, what's the deal here? Why is God giving them these gifts? Well, to answer that question, we got to go back to the book of Genesis where God enters into a covenant with Abraham. And the reason God entered into a covenant with Abraham is because sin was doing such a number on humanity. You know, sin entered the world through Adam and Eve, and from that point on, everyone who was born was born with a sin nature. And we see how sin brings destruction and brokenness. We read the story of the flood. We read the story of the Tower of Babel. I mean, sin is making a mess of things. As our kids sang at VBS a couple weeks ago, sin messed everything up right? Sin messed everything up. But God had a plan of redemption, and he puts that plan into motion by by entering into a covenant with Abram. And it mentions the land. Uh, As a matter of fact, look back with me in Genesis chapter 13. Genesis chapter 13. The Lord mentions this gift of land. Genesis 13, verse 14, the Bible says, 
The Lord said to Abram after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So we see here the Lord very clearly saying, this land you're in right now, Abraham, I'm going to give it to your offspring who will be so numerous you can't count them. So he makes two promises to Abraham. I'm going to give you an offspring. He and Sarah didn't have any kids at this point. I'm going to give you a son, and through your son, I'm going to give you more and more descendants. I'm going to build a brand new people, a brand new nation, and I'm going to give them a land in which to dwell. Now, Joshua is the fulfillment of this promise to Abraham. He built the nation of Israel through Abraham's seed, and then he brought them into that promised land just like he said he would. But here's the question, why? Why did God go to such great lengths to form a nation and to give them a land? Well, it's found, the answer is found in Genesis chapter 12. Look there with me. Genesis 12, the first time the Lord speaks to Abraham. He says in verse 2, I will make of you a great nation. Speaks of his descendants, which we know as the nation of Israel. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. So I'm blessing you and your your descendants so they can be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. Now look at this last phrase. And in you, through your descendants, Abraham, all the families, all the people groups on the face of the earth shall be blessed. And so we know from that, that through the Hebrews, the Israelite people, God would make blessing available to anyone from any tribe or tongue. Now that's a big promise, that his descendants would bless all the peoples on the face of the earth. How was this promise fulfilled? Well, if you look there in your notes, through his people, the Israelites, in that land... Canaan, the promised land he gave them in Joshua, God would send the Messiah. God forms his people. He gives them a promised land. He protects them. He preserves them even through their unfaithfulness. And then in the fullness of time, through the tribe of Judah, which we'll talk about next time we're together, through the tribe of Judah, through the Israelite people, God sends his son. Jesus left heaven came to earth, born of the Virgin Mary, fully God, fully man, and Jesus Christ went to the cross. And the Bible says that Jesus Christ, 1 John 2, 2, is the propitiation for our sins. That means he satisfies the wrath of God that you and I deserve. But then it says, not for our sins only, but those of the whole world. So Jesus would come through Israel and he would die for the sins of the world, fulfilling God's covenant with Abraham. Because Jesus left heaven, came to earth, died for our sins, and rose from the dead. Anyone from any tribe or tongue, any nation, can embrace Christ by faith and be blessed with salvation. That's how that covenant that God made with Abraham was fulfilled. Fulfilled through Christ who came through Israel. So God gives good gifts to his people for his purposes. I hope when you read Joshua... You're not just reading some narrative about some historical happenings. This is God at work 
so that one day he could send the Messiah for you and for me. That's what this book of Joshua is all about. And so God gives good gifts, but he's not a, he's not a God who works on whims. He's a purposeful God. He has a plan in place, and those gifts help God to fulfill his promises and execute his plan for his people, to his people, for his purposes. I've seen that in my own life. For Christmas this past year, I gave Claire a crepe maker. You know why I gave her a crepe maker? Because I want crepes. I I want her to make me crepes. They're delicious. So I, I gave her a gift. I had a purpose behind the gift. And God here in Joshua, as he gives them land, inheritance, he has a purpose behind the gift. He is giving the gift of land. He's preserving his people. He's building his people so he could send us a Messiah. His name is Christ. Amen? But there's a third thought about God's gifts I want you to see. God's gifts call for faithful stewardship. God's gifts call for faithful stewardship. Look back with me in Joshua 13. Verse 8, Joshua 13, verse 8. The Bible says, With the other half of the tribe of Manasseh, the Reubenites and the Gadites received their inheritance, which Moses gave them beyond the Jordan eastward, as Moses the servant of the Lord gave them from Ariar, which is on the edge of the valley of the Arnon, and the city that is in the middle of the valley, and all the tableland of Mediba as far as Dibon, and all the cities of, the, of Sihon, king of the Amorites, who reigned in Heshbon, as far as the boundary of the Ammonites, and Gilead, and the region of the Geshurites, and Machathites, and all Mount Hermon, and all Bashan to Selakah, all the kingdoms of Og and Bashan, who reigned in Ashtaroth and in Edri. He alone was left with the remnant of the Rephaim. These Moses had struck and driven out. Yet the people of Israel did not drive out the Geshurites or the Machathites, but Geshur and Makath dwell in the midst of Israel to this day. So we see here that Joshua is beginning to divide up the land among the tribes of Israel. And we see here that there is some tribal um, neglect. Now, the nation of Israel under Joshua's leadership had done what God called them to do. They entered the land. They conquered the south part of Canaan and the north part of Canaan. Now, it was the, tri- the job of the different tribes to drive out remaining people who lived in the area that God had given them. But, as we'll see unfold through the next few chapters, the tribes of Israel were not always faithful in this task. They would not fully drive out the people living there, and those people would become a snare to them and cause all sorts of problems. So God gave them these great gifts, the, the gift of land, an inheritance, to a place to live and to thrive in, and yet they were not good stewards of that gift. They didn't do what God wanted them to do with that gift. They fell short of Full obedience. And we're reminded by this that God's gifts call for faithful stewardship. We say, what what does it mean to be a, a faithful steward of God's gifts? Here's what it means. We are good stewards when we do what God wants us to do with his gifts. We're good stewards when we do what God wants us to do with his gifts. God has placed some things in our hands And he intends for us who have been greatly blessed 
to bless others and to leverage the things God has given us for his kingdom and always and ultimately for his glory. And if, as we use God's gifts in that way, we become good stewards. You know, the stuff that you have in your life right now, it's not your stuff. They're simply material blessings God's letting you hold on to right now. Because here's how I know that. One day the stuff that you have won't be your stuff anymore. Somebody else will have it. Somebody else will live in your house. Somebody else will drive your car. Somebody else will be wearing your clothes, right? Someone else will have your job, right? It's it's not yours. they're, They're gifts, they're blessings that God has placed into your hands. And he wants you to be a faithful steward of what he's placed into your hands. I talked to a member of this church just recently, and he and his wife had just moved into a new home. Here's what he told me. He said, it's not our house. It's God's house. And we want to use it for him. That, that's the perspective I'm talking about. Hey, we moved into new, it's not our house. It's his house. And we want to leverage it for his glory. Listen to what David Livingston, the great missionary in Africa in the 1800s wrote. I place no value on anything I have or may possess except in relation to the kingdom of God. If anything will advance the interest of the kingdom, it shall be given away or kept only as by giving or keeping it, I shall most promote the glory of him to whom I owe all my hopes in time or eternity. So here's what Livingston's saying. I'm going to take the things God has placed in my hands and do what's best for him and his kingdom and his glory. That's how I'm going to leverage material goods. God's gifts call for faithful stewardship. As a negative example, think about the story found in Luke 15 where Jesus hears the parable of the prodigal son. Remember that story? The youngest son goes up to his father and says, I want my inheritance now, which was very disrespectful because it's as if the youngest son is saying, I wish you were dead. Because that's when you get inheritances, right? I wish you were dead. I want my inheritance. And so the father proportions out inheritance for the youngest son. What does he do? He takes it into a far land and he blows it all. He wastes it with riotous, wild living. He finds himself eating the food that pigs ate. He had this inheritance in his hands and he wasted it. God's gifts call for faithful stewardship. I'm just saying you and I need to just take inventory every so often and say, how has God blessed us? And how does God want to use the ways that he's blessed us for his kingdom and for his glory? How can we take the things God has placed in our hands, he's letting us hold on to right now, and use them for the good of others, for the expansion of the kingdom of God. God's gifts call for faithful stewardship. But there's one final reality I want you to see about God's gifts, and we'll be through. 
God gives good gifts to his people and God gives good gifts to his people for his purposes and God gifts call for faithful stewardship. But fourth and last, God's greatest gift, and this is the most important part of the sermon, so don't tune me out. And by the way, this is the most important reality in the Bible. God's greatest gift is the gift of himself. The gift of himself. Look what it says in Joshua 13, verse 32. These are the inheritances. that Chapter 13 details the different parcels of land that were given to the different tribes. And it says there, These are the inheritances that Moses distributed in the plains of Moab beyond the Jordan east of Jericho. But to the tribe of Levi, Moses gave no inheritance. The Lord God of Israel is their inheritance, just as he said to them. And then in chapter 14, we see the inheritance that God gives his people on the west side of the Jordan. So chapter 13 is the land on the east side of the Jordan for the two and a half tribes. On uh, chapter 14 is the land given, divided up among the nine and a half tribes living on that side of the river. But in both chapters, the Levites are mentioned, and it said the Levites got no land. And it tells us why there. The Lord was their inheritance. Now, the Levites are interesting. They were a tribe in Israel, and their role was to provide priests to, to minister the sacrificial system on behalf of the people of Israel. You can read about the sacrificial system in Exodus and Leviticus. It is elaborate means of ceremony and offerings and sacrifice that, that were reminders to Israel that God is God and you cannot approach him in your own terms. You have to approach him on his terms and you're guilty and you're sinners. So there must be a shedding of blood so someone can shed their blood on your, or something can shed its blood on your behalf so you can be cleansed of your guilt and approach God and have a relationship with him. That was the sacrificial system. And the Levites ran this system they would lead in presenting the offerings and sacrificing the animals and keeping the lampstand burning and keeping the table of showbread uh, furnished with bread and keeping the incense burning, symbolizing the prayers of God's people and sprinkling the blood, the high priest on the Ark of the Covenant once a year. All these elaborate ceremonies, this elaborate system was carried out by the tribe of the Levites. He says here to the Levites, you don't get land like the other tribes. So, is that fair? What, what did the Levites get? What were their privileges? Well, let me, let me show you three privileges they had. First of all, they had the privilege of being salt and light. Look what it says in chapter 14, verse 1. These are the inheritances that the people of Israel received in the land of Canaan, which Eleazar the priest and Joshua the son of Nun and the heads of the father's houses of the tribes of the people of Israel gave them to inherit. Their inheritance was by lot, just as the Lord had commanded by the hand of Moses for the nine and one-half tribes. For Moses had given an inheritance to the two and one-half tribes beyond the Jordan. But to the Levites, here it is, he gave no inheritance among them. For the people of Joseph were two tribes, Manasseh and Ephraim, and no portion was given to the Levites in the land, but only cities to dwell in. With their pasture lands for their livestock and their substance, the people of Israel did as the Lord commanded Moses. They allotted the land. And this is interesting. As the tribes took possession of the land that was given to them, they were to provide cities for the Levites to live in. 
So the Levites didn't have their own land to just congregate together as a tribe. They were dispersed and spread out among all the other tribes of Israel, living in cities in their lands. Why? I believe it was intended by God to provide his people examples of what it means to live faithfully for the Lord. As the Levites were scattered in these different cities among the different tribes and the different areas that were given to them by God, they had the privilege of showing the, the, the watching tribes what it means to live for the Lord, to model faithful, godly behavior. They were called to be salt and light as they were scattered among the tribes. Not only did they have the privilege of being salt and light, but they had the privilege of pointing people to Jesus. Look at verse 14. This is a fascinating verse. Verse 14. The Bible says, To the tribe of Levi alone, Moses gave no inheritance. The offerings by fire to the Lord of God are, are their inheritance, as he said to him. In other words, here was the privilege that the Levites had. They had a front row seat for tabernacle and temple worship. They got to oversee the, the giving of offerings, wave offerings and burnt offerings. They got to oversee the sacrificing of animals. They, they would shed the blood of these animals as a picture of ultimate sacrifice that was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Every time an animal was killed, it was a reminder to Israel, you are sinful, you are full of guilt. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. You cannot approach God. You must be forgiven. And all of these sacrifices, all these, these blood ceremonies pointed to the cross. When Jesus left heaven and came to earth and went to the cross and died for our sins, he shed his blood to pay the penalty that we deserve to pay so that we can be forgiven if we embrace him as our Lord and Savior, right? So the entire, listen, the entire sacrificial system pointed to Christ. And every time they led in the carrying out of these sacrifices, the carrying out of these set ceremonies, they were in a very real sense pointing Israel to Jesus, the one who would come and die for the sins of the world. So they had that privilege. Third, they had the privilege of enjoying God. Look what it says in Chapter 13, verse 32. These are the inheritances that Moses distributed in the plains of Moab beyond the Jordan east of Jericho. But to the tribe of Levi, Moses gave no inheritance. The Lord God of Israel is their inheritance. So here's what the Lord's saying to the Levites. You don't get land. You don't get real estate. You don't get this big farm to pass on to your kids and your kids' kids. You don't get any of that. Here's what you get, Levite. You get me. You get to enjoy me. A, 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 a privileged standing with me. That's what you get. And so the Levites had the privilege of enjoying God as their inheritance. Now, we might look at the Levites and say, well, that's kind of cool. But... Do we have anything in common with the Levites? Is there any connection we have with the Levites? 
Well, I believe that God's people today have the same privileges that the Levites had. I want to show you this over in 1 Peter chapter 2. Turn there with me. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 9. This is so good. First Peter 2, verse 9. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. Just like the Levites came between God and Israel, we have the opportunity to come between God and humanity and show humanity that our God saves. We're a royal priesthood. And notice, we have the same privileges as the Levites. He says there, you are a holy nation. That means that we are salt and light. We get to be scattered out among the people in this land and show them the difference that Jesus Christ makes. Right now, we're all gathered. Tomorrow, 4th of July, on Tuesday, we're going to be scattered everywhere, right? And we have the privilege, just like the Levites, of being salt and light. Also, we have the privilege of pointing people to Jesus. Look what it says. A people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So just like the Levites, we get to point people to Christ, his atoning work on the cross, his bodily resurrection. We get to point to Christ and say, Jesus saved sinners just like he saved me. Levites had a great privilege. They got to have front row seats for the sacrificial system. So do we. We've been to the to the foot of the cross. Amen? And we can point others to Calvary and the redeeming work of Christ. But here's the the neat thing. Just like the Levites, we can be salt and light. Just like the Levites, we're a royal priesthood. We can point people to Christ. But third, just like the Levites, we have the privilege of enjoying God. Look what it says in the next verse. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Now you belong to God. You have a relationship with Him. We have that same privilege the Levites have. This world is not our home. We're sojourners. We're exiles. We're we're just passing through. We don't get permanence, but you know what we get? We get the Lord. A personal relationship with Him. And that is the greatest gift of the gospel. Let me say it like this. The great gift giver is himself the greatest gift. The great gift giver is himself the greatest gift. Listen to what John Piper writes in his book, God is the Gospel, which was a paradigm shifting book for me. He writes, the gospel of Jesus and his Many precious blessings are not ultimately what makes the good news good, but means of seeing and savoring the Savior himself. He writes, forgiveness is good because it opens the way to enjoying God himself. Justification is good because it wins access to the presence and pleasure of God himself. Eternal life is good because it becomes the everlasting enjoyment of Jesus. Here's what makes heaven heaven. Listen to me. Streets of gold don't make heaven heaven. Pearly gates don't make heaven heaven. Mansions built for us in glory. That's not what makes heaven heaven. 
What makes heaven heaven is we get to enjoy and treasure Christ forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. That's what makes heaven heaven. Because of the finished work of Christ, we've been redeemed and and forgiven and set free. And one day, God will call us home to heaven where there'll be no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. We'll be free from the very presence of sin. And in that condition, in that state, we get to enjoy the Lord Jesus Christ together forever. And so the greatest gift of the gospel is this. You get God. That's the best part about being saved. Now now come in real close for a moment. I've been pastoring long enough to see some peculiar things. I've seen families with kids. And they'll have their kids in church. And their kids will make a profession of faith and get baptized. And the parents have kind of this attitude. Okay, my my kids are in now. So I'm good with all that. So now we can kind of, we can walk away from involvement in the church and just go do our own thing now. In effect, my kids got their ticket to heaven. They got their fire insurance. I'm done with the Lord for now. I've seen it happen more than once. Listen to me. Salvation is so much more than being rescued from hell. It is that. I'm so grateful it is being rescued from hell. I'm glad I'm not going to hell when I die. How about you? But it's more than that. It's not, a, it's not just a ticket to heaven. It's, it's you get God. You get a relationship with Him. You get to walk with Him and talk with Him. He becomes your portion and your contentment and your joy and your treasure. That's what's so great about being saved. I'm glad I'm saved today because I get to enjoy Jesus. When you get saved, it's not, hey, I'm in, I'm done with Jesus. It is, I am set free to enjoy Christ and treasure Him, and make much of Him in this life and in the life to come. When someone makes a profession of faith, that's not the finish line. You are stepping into a relationship with the living God. That's where it all begins, amen? I shudder to think if when I made a profession of faith at nine years of age and I was baptized, if I said, okay, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in I got my ticket, so I'm going to just ignore the Lord for the rest of my life. All that I would have missed out on. The joy, the hope, the peace, the fulfillment that comes from knowing Christ. And by the way, if someone says, I've got my ticket, I don't need the Lord in this life, I wonder if they really have their ticket. Their understanding of God and the gospel is deficient. They may have seen that they don't want to go to hell. They don't have no idea of what it means to call Jesus Lord. They have no idea of, of, of what it means when they read that parable that, that Jesus is the pearl of great price. He's worthy of our everything. And so... God's greatest gift is the gift of himself. Parents, grandparents, you understand, don't you? 
the joy that comes on Christmas morning. You know your kids, you know that gift they wanted really, really bad, and you're able to get it. And you're so excited when they're unwrapping that present, that thing they've been anticipating, looking for, and they open it and see the gift, and they squeal with delight. They're so excited. But oh, the joy. When they set the gift down and run to mom and dad or grandma and grandpa and hug the gift giver, recognizing where that gift came from. How much joy does that give a mom or dad or grandma or grandpa? How much more do you think it gives the Lord joy when we look beyond the gifts to the gift giver and come into His presence and with hands raised high say thank you for all that you've done. You are so gracious. You are so good. And I recognize in your presence that you, the great gift giver, have given me the greatest gift, the gift of yourself. Oh, that I might enjoy you, God. Treasure you. Find life in you. Not simply your gifts. So here's what I want you to walk away with today. Here's the the point of the sermon. I, I believe that Joshua 13 and the first part of 14 call us to appreciate and appropriate God's good gifts for God's glory. Appropriate, be a good steward of what He's given you, and then appreciate all that He's given you, including Himself. As we recognize God's good hand in all of that, we will live in such a way that God will get glory from our lives. But don't ever lose sight of the reality that the great gift giver is himself the greatest gift.